the latest episode of The Vegan Pod, where this week we're asking the question, do companion animals make vegans hypocrites? We live in a world where having a companion animal is considered normal, with vegans and non-vegans alike welcoming animals into their homes. In 2021, the Pet Food Manufacturers Association estimates that around 59% of UK households shared their homes with a companion animal, the most common being dogs and cats. The popularity of vegan diets and lifestyles is increasing worldwide, and this shift in mindset is mirrored in the way we care for the animals we share our homes with. For vegans, there can be a number of questions and concerns when it comes to taking on a companion animal, from the overarching question, is it vegan to keep an animal, to questions around breeding and adoption, and of course, what to feed them to keep them happy and healthy. Here to delve a little deeper into the world of having a companion animal in your home as a vegan, we are joined by veterinary professor Andrew Knight and co-director of Benevo, Damien Eady. Andrew is a professor of animal welfare and ethics and founding director of the University of Winchester Centre for Animal Welfare, as well as an experienced cat and dog vet. His current area of research is focused on companion animal diets. And Benevo is a vegan company which specializes in vegan and eco-friendly products uh, and they own pet food brands including Benevo and V-Dog and they're both registered with the Vegan Society's vegan trademark. V-Dog is recognized as the original veggie dog food first produced in the UK in 1980. I think it's safe to say that we've got the right guests for this episode with those areas of expertise. So welcome Andrew and Damien. Thank you for inviting us. Well, you are both highly qualified to answer the myriad of questions that I think there are around this subject. But first of all, I always ask guests about their vegan journey themselves personally. So, um, Andrew, tell us about your vegan journey. Obviously, you're a, you're a vet. What motivated you um, to become? Was it which came first, the, the veterinary or the vegan? <laughs> So do we have 45 minutes just for this question? <laughs> uh, um, no, seriously, crikey. Um, look, I've been a, a vegan for decades since I was 18. Um, it feels like back in the dim, dark mists of time when dinosaurs roamed the earth. It's a very long time ago. Um, and I went to, to veterinary school, you know, after I became a vegan. I was interested in getting specialised knowledge and, and skills to support uh, campaigns uh, to advance the welfare um, and, and advocacy for animals. It's interesting, isn't it? I always think if you work with animals in any way, shape or form, you can't. I can't imagine that you could also eat them. You know, um, it, it, my mind all, all, always boggles. So it, it makes perfect sense to me that you're a vet and a vegan, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's rarely the case, I think. Yes, um, there's this fascinating... Um, discussion about uh, cognitive dissonance and the, the discord between people's uh, actions and their beliefs and uh, how over time uh, we are motivated to resolve that and we if if we don't want or feel able to change our behavior uh, for example our dietary choices then we tend to change our beliefs we tend to uh, see animals as being uh, less sentient uh, we deny uh, the suffering uh, that they, they um, undergo in intensive farming systems and you see people desensitizing over the duration of uh, veterinary uh, courses, actually, to uh, animal suffering. So it's a fascinating phenomenon. And we could, again, talk about that for mm. half the interview. I am curious to know whether you um, question often other vets, you know, as to whether they're vegan and if so, why not? 
you know, you, you just don't, you just know there's going to be a great big cultural divide. Uh, you don't bother getting into it unless you want um, a great big long-winded uh, argument that you're probably not going to win um, because people uh, have fairly entrenched positions and are not really open to enga- uh, changing their views. Mm. They have come across this issue five years ago at the beginning of their veterinary degrees, uh, dealt with it then and been reinforcing it ever since. Um vets and many other people like to think of themselves as being rational and guided by reason and evidence but the reality is it's much more about cultural factors than anyone likes to uh, admit or acknowledge Uh, and unless those are addressed it's difficult to really uh, create behavioral change. Very good very good point Andrew. Uh, So Damien what led you to veganism and when did that journey begin? Um, well, it was in the world before the internet, so it's a slower journey than it might be for a lot of people these days, when you might watch a video and discover everything all at once. So I, I went vegetarian at 14, walking home from school uh, over a bridge, and a truck from an abattoir passed by, and I'd never imagined such a sight. <laughs> when I got home, my mum was making minced uh, meat, and I was um, just not up for it that evening, and that actually turned out to be the last day I ate meat, so... After that, tuna fish, then, you know, I didn't know much about how eggs were made. You, you couldn't easily find these things out back in the day. So I was about 14 then. And by about 20, I was um, vegan most of the time. I'd occasionally have some cheese with something. So, and that eventually fizzled out. But vegan now, well, gosh, I forget my age. I've been vegetarian for about 35 years, vegan for about 25, 26. But you know, it's not a date in my diary. Like I know no. I, have friend, I have friends now that have their vegan anniversary date and it was a very gradual process for me. And a lot of folks of my age kind of got there bit by bit as we found things out. I think that's a really good point, actually. And I think, you know, hats off to you being vegan for 25 years because not easy at all. I mean, I was vegetarian from about 18, so about 40 years. Mm. Um, and then I gave up dairy seven years ago and then I can't even remember the last time I ate an egg you know like I can't remember that but at some point I just didn't eat eggs anymore you know just didn't fancy them and that was that so yeah gradual I think is there's a kind of fizzling out for some people and it's but it's born out of an instinct you kind of know that it doesn't feel right but it's what what are the options and and the more I found out I didn't find anything reassuring I just found out it was worse than I thought yes so, <laughs> so it was quite yeah. easy to pull away from bit by bit that's an interesting point if you were doing some research to say actually it's probably okay to carry on like eating these things I'll look into it and it's like oh no no it's absolutely not brilliant yeah. okay um so so let's talk companion animals um okay. I, 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 first of all I want to say that I still call them pets and yeah. I think that's probably frowned upon now in the vegan world what what would you both say about that look there are some there there are some who who do uh critique that who who say that it's a a term that's potentially demeaning to those animals however i think it's more important to be honest to use whatever terminology is going to connect best with your audience Mm. and if i'm wanting to educate uh, the mainstream public about uh, vegan companion animal diets um, sure I can use companion animals but I might also use the word pets if I think it's going to be more effective in communicating information in, in terms that they'll understand yeah that's a good Among, that's a good point amongst my customers it's not I've never really had many people I've had people march up to me at events and say it's um pleasing my words a little bit but amongst the customers it's very common to talk about pets in the same way as you'd say kids yeah um, 
it's not so much about owning an animal like an asset it's it's owning the responsibility which i'm sure a lot of people with kids would be very aware of so andrew do you have any companion animals yourself Sadly, I don't. I work uh, really long hours. Uh, I have travelled a lot uh, giving talks on uh, vegan companion animal diets at conferences, so I wouldn't be a good uh, guardian for a companion animal, sadly. And I also live in a uh, high-rise flat where, where we're not technically allowed to have them anyway. Well, and that's okay. You don't have to have one. I'm guessing a lot of animals pass through your hands. You probably get a chance to spend lots of time with lovely animals. Anyway, yeah, I, mean, I did when I was in veterinary clinical practice. Um, I did that for nearly a decade, mostly around London before uh, being recruited into uh, academia. And I'm now pretty much a full time researcher and, and educator as well, but mostly a researcher onto particularly vegan companion animal diets. So I'm um, stuck at a desk. At a desk <laughs> yeah. You need to go on one of those dog walking schemes or something, or have you got friends with pets? Small hours of the morning. That's the only time I actually have any time. <laughs> it's niche but you'll probably be able to find someone um Damien have you got a companion uh, animal no I don't and it's for similar reasons really my workload and the, the travel I do make it um tricky because I'd have to be offloading a, a dog I would, if I had anything I'd probably choose a dog but uh, I'm surrounded by dogs so there, there's an office dog that a colleague brings in and staff here have dogs not surprisingly on the food we, we make and my co-director's got a lovely um greyhound that was rescued and uh, very very calm chilled out guy so i have i have dogs around me when i want but the truth is i would be an absolutely terrible custodian of any animal i i wouldn't i wouldn't want to look after a spider to be quite frank <laughs> i think that's um i think that really i mean i also don't have an animal because of the commitment that you know it would take and i think it, you know sometimes i wish more people would um you know stop and do that kind of checklist of reasons they shouldn't have a pet you know yes. um and and make that decision wisely so here we go we're talking about companion animals and none of us have any but for all the right <laughs> reasons um so when we choose to keep a companion animal technically they are seen as our property and humans are in control of their daily mm. habits their quality mm. of life what they eat um given the nature of veganism um is to free animals from exploitation do you think it is vegan to have companion animals andrew um it can certainly be vegan if uh you are feeding them uh vegan companion animal diets i, I would say um that's important if you really think critically it's difficult to find any facet of human uh, life where there isn't some level of uh, animal exploitation if you want to go deep enough then every single step that you take you're crushing microbes um, you are every, every all the products and services you use have probably involved harm to animals somewhere so it's not possible to eliminate that entirely what we can do is try to minimize it as best we can um, it is true that for companion animals we um, control um, uh, who they engage with. We remove them from their normal uh, families, their social networks. We um, inflict uh, unchosen surgical procedures upon them uh, with respect to neutering and some other operations, uh, microchipping. Um, we control their reproductive activity. We control what they eat, uh, where they go. So we take away their liberty to some degree. We also provide them on the positive side with lots of care and protection uh, that they wouldn't naturally receive in the wild. So it is definitely a mixed bag. Are we exploiting them? Well, well, yes, to some degree, but we're also caring for them a lot as well. I would encourage anyone that's concerned about this issue to, to think about adopting uh, companion animals from animal shelters. 
potentially not um, allowing them to go on and breed and contribute further to the growth of, of these populations. Uh, I think that's the best way that we can to look after these animals and minimise um, exploitation of them and probably uh, the food animals that they often consume in the long term if we're feeding them vegan companion animal diets. Very good points. Uh, we'll get on to, uh, you know, if you're going to have a companion animal, where you acquire it from um, shortly. But let's stay with food um, at the minute. Obviously, Damien, you're, you're, you know, making or producing and selling um, mm -hmm. food for, for people to give uh, their, their companion animal a vegan diet. Yes. Um, but there is debate, of course, among veterinary professionals and vegans. Um, there's a lot of controversy around feeding companion animals a vegan diet. The Vegan Society understand that people with companion animals must seek to do what's best for them and any changes to their diet should be considered with the utmost care. Mm. Um, uh, there's, there is a lot of criticism of vegans, you know, who force... I'm going to use this terminology, this controversial, controversial terminology, their, their companion animals, um, they force their beliefs on them and force them to eat what they wouldn't ordinarily eat. Obviously, Damien, you produce, um, you know, the, the, the uh, vegetarian, vegan food for animals. What would you, what would you say to that? that that's uh, the idea that um, you're forcing your views on your animal if you give them vegan food is something that I've come across at lots of events and shows often from people who've not given it more than a moment's thought and it's like a gut reaction it's, it seems kind of like the wrong thing to do um, but it often falls apart in the conversation when you begin to reason with people about how they already live their lives and um, following up really on what Andrew said in that we, we have an awful lot of um, restrictions around the animals that we bring into our homes so they're not completely free anyway so when you say is it are we forcing our opinions on them well I, I don't know can you force a dog to like a particular football team or a particular band like I, I don't think it's anything like that I think what you're doing is you're trying to make a choice where you balance the needs of the animal that you have chosen to bring into your home and care for against the needs of other animals that are out there and that's a balancing act and, and, and where you draw that line and where you feel the balance is right it's probably something that everyone individually has to find for themselves but for most people that I contend with because of the, what we do and we've been doing it for, I mean I probably know more people with vegan dogs and cats than anybody um, they come to the conclusion that if you can feed your your dog or your cat a diet that gives them everything they need and they like it and it doesn't hurt animals why wouldn't you do it it really yeah. is as simple as that. And at the same time, for those people that say, well, my dog wouldn't choose that, be honest about that. Do, would you give your dog a tenner and send him down to the supermarket and let him come back with whatever he fancied? Because we all know it's going to be a string of sausages, a packet of crisps and a chocolate bar. And, you know, dogs are not nutritionists. They don't pick the things that are best for them. They don't make ethical choices in the same way as, you know, we know we wouldn't leave vulnerable babies with certain sorts of dogs because those dogs don't have the same moral agency that we do so if I go back to what I mentioned earlier that the term pet as I see it is about um, owning the responsibility you own the ethical responsibility for that decision to have the animal in your house so the consequences that flow from that the, the ethical responsibility lays with you it's, that's one of your choices so then the next choice is well what are you going to do to feed this animal are there consequences in those decisions as well so I think it's 
it's a normal part of vegan practice in life to think about the consequences of your choices mm. Mm. and in many homes the dog's food the dog's dinner or the cat as it may be is the last meat in the house because it's been overlooked people don't know that there might be an alternative it's just a question that's never been asked so mm. when i when i face that kind of like um you know is it is it wrong to force it on a dog i mean I can show you videos of dogs and cats eating our food. They're not being forced. <laughs> they, they like it. it. To them, it's just food. It's dinner. Um, they don't know what it is. They don't yeah. know if it's better or worse. It's, it's not an argument we have with the dog. It's a discussion we have with the customers. So, um, so moving on from, you know, forcing your beliefs and opinions on your animals, <laughs> Andrew, I'd like to ask you about, you know, the nutritional um, argument mm -hmm. behind it. Um, certainly, I hear that cats are obligate carnivores my daughter has three cats and um she's vegan but she feeds them meat cat food as far as i know um where you know this is your area of expertise how how is it nutritionally and health wise for pets so meat-based um pet food for cats and dogs includes uh meat but also a majority of plant-based material as well as minerals as well as vitamins uh, and these are all supplemented into the diets to make sure they're nutritionally uh, complete and balanced um, vegan pet foods um, formulated to modern standards by uh, good companies do the same thing but they just leave the meat out and they have more of the other materials many people are aware of uh, taurine it's an, an amino acid that's naturally found only in meat uh, if it's not added into the diets of uh, these animals they can suffer in particular cats can suffer from uh, visual disorders uh, birth defects um, and cardiac uh, disorders as well uh, eventually now it was uh, found that the taurine naturally occurring in meat was actually being um, degraded uh, by the uh, high temperatures and pressures and chemical treatments involved in processing of meat-based pet food and had uh, very low biological activity after processing had been completed. So um, taurine has needed to be added back into meat-based pet foods uh, from a synthetic source of taurine. So the vegan pet foods use the same synthetic source of taurine. So the important thing is that the um, diets are nutritionally supplemented as meat-based ones also are to ensure that all the nutrients uh, that are necessary for, for cats and dogs to be healthy are included and provided that uh, all the nutrients are there and that the diets diets um, include less of the hazards that seem to be common in meat-based pet foods, you would expect health outcomes to be as good or better than for cats and dogs maintained on meat-based uh, diets. And when we do the large-scale studies involving thousands of animals, that's exactly what we're finding. That's interesting. So I was going to ask you if that you had any, um, you know, evidence of it being better or, he or health outcomes improving if the animal moves on to a vegan diet. But would you say it's sort of the same or? No, there have been um, there has been an explosion of scientific research in this area in the last um, two or three years, actually. So there are now 10 studies looking at health outcomes in dogs and three studies, not all of which are published yet, looking at health outcomes in cats. Uh, the final one on cats uh, should be published uh, very soon th this year. Um, so the studies collectively show that providing the diets are nutritionally sound, health outcomes uh, are as good and in some respects are actually better for animals maintained on nutritionally sound vegan diets. The most recent one uh, was produced by um, Guelph Veterinary School, one of the leading veterinary schools in Canada. Uh, and they looked at around 1,200 dogs of so 357 were vegan. 
Um, as with the very similar study on cats the year before, they found that there was no significant differences in the groups except for gastrointestinal and liver uh, conditions, which were less common in the vegan animals. And for the uh, dogs, they also found eye diseases were less common. And on top of that, they found that previously owned dogs were living one and a half years longer on a vegan diet. So that equates to a human being living around about an extra decade at the end of their lifespan. And on top of that, they're not just living longer, they're living better. We know that they seem to be having across all of the different studies, lower rates of two particular uh, clusters of problems. One relates to animal sourced allergens in the diet. So they have less itchy skin, they have less gastrointestinal problems, they have less uh, ear canal problems. So they're more comfortable. The second seems to relate to uh, less excessive calories in the diet. So they have lower rates of obesity. This came up in the CAT study. Um, it actually was a statistically significant difference, as are all the other things that I've mentioned. They were uh, less likely to be overweight and obese. They have less mobility problems and less musculoskeletal disorders. So that's a second cluster of related uh, effects. So these animals are not just living longer. Uh, the dogs ones, I mean, the, the cats ones, uh, that, that study showed they were living longer, but the difference wasn't statistically significant. Maybe it would be if there were a, a greater group of animals that were studied. In the dog one, it was statistically significant. They're definitely living longer for a year and a half. Their quality of life is also improved by these benefits. So That's fantastic and, yeah. and really quite stunning um, results. I, I, I didn't mm. know the answer to this question when I asked you it, and I, I was hoping it might be, well, yeah. they're not worse off, but that's brilliant. I'm, right. that, can, you can know, I add that, that yeah. this is consistent across all of the studies, really, and there have been about 10 now in dogs and, as I say, about three in cats, and there is no single health disorder that has consistently appeared to be more common in animals on a vegan diet. It just makes you think, even if you can't convince people to go vegan, you should make them make their pets vegan. Like, it's completely sort of turn that like, oh, are you forcing your beliefs? It completely turns it around on its head. Like, you know, thank you, Andrew. That's amazing. Yeah, that's um, really good. And that actually reflects the, the sort of things we've been hearing really as word of mouth from customers for, well, ever since we started out. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, like V-Dog was a food that was in production since 1980. And we've met loads of people who have had a dog live a long, healthy life. And they say that they lived, they seemed younger. They were running around the park when all the other dogs were getting old. Uh, they'll often talk about various elements that they've either never had or when they've, I mean, a good percentage of our customer base is actually has come to us to solve a health problem not necessarily an ethical decision. So this is another thing about forcing things. Um, we have people that come to us with these protein sensitivities, which I until I was involved in this sort of business, I'd never really heard about. But there are a number of, a good cohort of our customers, possibly up to about 25% actually over the years, have been people that their initial decision was driven by some sort of allergy. So the itchy skins, the problems with their ears, chewing their paws. Some of these things can be down to something as simple as whether or not it's wheat, but surprisingly common. Uh, the most common allergens actually for dogs aren't the things that people worry about, like soya and corn, which they think, you know, which is all that's left if you take the meat out. But the most common allergens are beef, dairy and uh, eggs. And then you get wheat and things like soya and corn are actually right down at the bottom. Wow. That's... But, uh... 
this is such an education for me. I'm loving this chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I was going to ask you what, what, what was driving people to, you know, were your sales increasing and what was, pe- what was driving people, um, you know, to, to make that choice. But it's in, you sort of answered some of that with the, you know, it's, they, they haven't come because they're trying to make an ethical decision or they're vegans themselves. They're trying to solve a, a problem that, that, that their yeah, pets there's, got. There's a mix. You'd be very surprised amongst our customers that buy cat food. Um, cats generally seem to suffer a lot less with those sorts of sensitivities anyway but so for a lot the larger part of our cat customer group would be uh, essentially trying to deal with the ethical challenge and seeing if they can do that balancing act that we were discussing earlier but there's a small cohort within there who are making religious decisions and that is that um, they they don't want to handle um, meat that isn't halal so Mm. they'll actually buy a vegan cat food and they'll get halal chicken liver and put it on top uh, that, that's a, a cohort of customers I'd never imagined was there but it exists so pe- people are actually approaching these these sorts of products from various angles but the the ethical the environmental and they're, they're the primary ones that we see and then a, a substantial number of people who are doing it for health first who've never given the other issues any consideration they take their fingers out of their ears at that point and mm. they can hear those discussions but you, they're coming primarily to deal with a health problem, which in almost all cases is alleviated. Let's talk a bit about adoption versus breeding when you're choosing mm. to bring a companion animal into your life. Um, those are the two options most people are faced with, either buying one from a breeder or adopting. Breeding, yes. breeding is a business that profits from the exploitation of animals for human benefit and isn't considered vegan. Mm-hmm. Um, could you highlight any issues within the breeding industry for someone who may not have previously considered it exploitative or problematic? Andrew, if you could. Sure. Um, the problem is with uh, purebred dogs in particular that have uh, hereditary disorders which compromise their welfare and, and condemn them to a lifetime of suffering, actually, uh, along with increased risk of various health conditions and a shorter lifespan overall. So we're talking about the flat-faced dogs in particular uh, and various other uh, hereditary problems as well. That's part of it. And the second part of the problem is um, the conditions in which the uh, breeding bitches uh, are being kept Um and those puppies are being farmed from. So there is a lot of animal exploitation uh, involved in the breeding industry because of those two aspects. Um, People uh, who buy these dogs uh, are obviously supporting that. Uh, A lot of money is paid, many hundreds of pounds for these purebred dogs. And sadly, I think they're just not aware of um, the consequences uh, adequately of of how much suffering that's likely to cause for their dogs and also how much more it's like they increase uh, their veterinary bills and the problems that they're going to experience having to deal with their dog's uh, health dif- disorders for the duration of their prematurely shortened lifespans. Uh, here's a, here's a yeah. question um, that you may or may not know the answer to. Um, certainly when it comes to humans, um, apparently we, we, you know, we, we breed much stronger humans if we diversify our gene pool. So, you know, if someone from Sweden has a yeah. baby with someone from Africa, boom. I mean, you know, apart it's from some hereditary... It's called hybrid, hybrid, hybrid vigor. So right. the genetically healthiest uh, animals will be the, the mixed breed mutts uh, or the domestic short hair cat that is, is not a pure breed for exactly this reason. And you're doing the opposite when you go down the, the pure breed path and there are uh, you know, more than 100 um, health disorders which are associated with the various breeds of, of dogs and uh, similar numbers in cats. Uh, and if you have a mixed breed hybrid, uh, you get hybrid vigor and you have lower rates of all of those problems. 
Amazing. Yeah, well, a, another reason to go to a rescue centre. Um, why do you think people do choose to buy from breeders? What, what do you think is the, is it just status it's, or ignorance? Yeah, or? It's, it's cultural um, factors. Uh, the, there may be examples on social media about um, celebrities and influencers uh, mm. choosing certain um, pure breeds. Um, there's, there's advertising. Um, it's all of the cultural factors and a lack of awareness of the really important matters, which is what are the consequences going to be for the welfare of those animals and how much of a problem uh, is it going to cause for the guardians, including uh, all the extra money they're going to be needing to pay to veterinarians and for treatments. Mm. We've had um, quite a bit of, uh, chat on social media about this ahead of this episode actually it's a, a, a hot topic Nahara on Facebook says if you're truly committed to animal welfare that I, then I think you have to have an obligation to rescue a companion animal and give him or her a good life um, where they can be happy uh, safe and loved don't support the breeders and designer dogs that suffer um, because mm. they've been bred to look a certain way but I like the idea that, <laughs> that you know and we're failing on this guys that you have to have a companion animal um, to kind of you know keep keep the numbers up of, of rescuing people um claire on facebook says humans domesticated and then largely abandoned animals which are now termed pets which she, a term she doesn't condone so as vegans we have an obligation to care for the victims of human selfishness obviously mm. rescues only as any vegan who would buy from a breeder is not a true ethical vegan uh, she also adds as for diet my animals have been elderly when rescued so i've not changed their diet in the future i if should i get a younger animal i would consider it well i feel like i should say claire you should probably change your elder pet's diet because you know yeah. they might get a spring in their step i actually amongst amongst the customers we have we have uh, largely people that have rescued sometimes they had a dog before they they entered the ethical discussions and thought about the implications and they've had a dog before they've even gone vegan let alone thinking about what they're feeding the dog but uh, we have a large number of people that rescue the oldest animal in the shelter because what they want are dogs that are more peaceful easier to live with and um so the idea that at, at a certain age it's too late to do anything good about their diet i would say that's a, that's not the case you can you can actually um you can you can address both those challenges at the same time i'm sure andrew would have some particular comments about senior dogs but you can you can give a dog a vegan diet in their older years and you won't break the dog and you will um you will certainly be benefiting other animals immediately. Uh, I would agree with that. Um, senior animals uh, might have slightly different nutritional needs. Uh, they might uh, burn less calories, for example. So you need to be careful about the calorie intake, uh, the quality of the dietary protein, uh, ensuring that all the nutrients are there, ensuring that digestibility is good, et cetera. And as with all of this, there's no sort of um, magic rule that says a vegan diet is necessarily going to be perfect or a meat-based diet one's going to be terrible or vice versa. You can perfectly formulate either diet, uh, including vegan diets, to fulfill all of those needs. And providing that the diet is formulated to meet those requirements, your animal should do well on it. And as Damien rightly says, you'll be helping other animals, particularly food animals, uh, immediately. So why wouldn't you do it? Absolutely. So I, I mean, I, I, I want to go out and get a pet now so that I can give it a vegan diet and, you know, be part of the, this wonderful movement. Um, <laughs> I, I want to ask a couple of questions now that aren't really directly um, uh, related to the, the companion animals, but the sort of wider consequence. Um, so there's a lot of discussion around climate impact and the food mm. we eat as humans. Um, this must be something we ought to consider when feeding companion animals as well. Do we see a difference in the environmental impact of vegan animal food versus meat-based, Damien? 
Well, the arguments I've heard from, I mean, I'm in a tricky situation in that in, in some regards, I'm in the pet food industry in others, I'm not, I'm, I'm quite an outsider. So I go to events, and I'm surrounded by people who don't see the world the way I see it. And you hear their counter arguments that, well, it's just waste meat, you know, it would have, it would have gone to waste if the animals weren't eating it. So therefore, it's not as environmentally harmful. But I would point out that there's not any part of a cow that you can put in a pet food um, that doesn't require a cow in the first place. So the argument that it's just some, we're just saving some waste is, is nonsense. Also, there's a premium food market where they're making a real point of telling you that this is human-grade food. Um, so some of those arguments are really quite suspicious, in my opinion. Um, there is a strange thing happening in the proteins market in that there's a very this might be slightly off topic but it actually is quite relevant as to why some growth in interest has occurred in recent years the proteins market is um the demand from asia for meat proteins is actually pulling prices all over the place and so uh, alternative protein sources have become of massive interest for lots of food industries including of course the pet food industry so in the past where they would have poo-pooed using plant proteins and and promoted and told you that meat proteins are these wonderful things i predict that you'll be hearing a lot of the big brands talking more about plant proteins and they're going to start normalizing it. And so we, we were ahead of the curve there. Excellent. But I think that messaging is something that's going to be coming out as a more commonplace thing that actually these plant proteins are perfectly good for your animal and put together in the right combinations, make a healthy diet. But the environmental impact is a huge thing. So yes, as I said, you can't have, you can't have any meat from any part of an animal without the animal being there mm -hmm. in the first instance, which creates the same issues as um, it does for us proportionately okay a cat eats less meat than we do but i mean i don't know are we going to measure our environmental impact by body weight <laughs> like how well, do we think of these things yeah and it's interesting because you know um uh over 50 percent of people say they have a pet and the vast majority of those are cats and dogs so that's a mm. lot of households you know consuming a lot of um the vast majority are dogs and cats and yeah. so we're talking in the region of eight million dogs or so i think is that right andrew in the uk I think it's um, around about nine and probably 11 million cats. So it's going up. So we did some, um, we provided some, I'm, I'm very often involved behind the scenes in various programs. I think BBC Costing the Earth years ago, one of the sort of, you know, that kind of uh, the size of a football pitch kind of analogy mm -hmm. people do to tell you about rainforests. Uh, they were trying to say that if you have a dog, it's like owning a, a four by four suv that's driving around all the time that's the same sort of impact it's having on the environment so it's very hard for people to look at their dog which is often you know viewed as a very friendly simple innocent creature in their home that brings them happiness as this uh, environment wrecking <laughs> animal but so it, it's a difficult conversation because most people don't think that there's there's anything they can do about it like the dog's not making a choice the dog's not to blame mm. What can we really do about it? But actually, that that again, it comes back to um, you. Don't, you might not own the dog, but you certainly own the responsibilities, and you're making those choices. So, so where the animal has no moral agency, you have to accept that uh, that falls on you. So again, the environmental factor is important, maybe in the choices you make about how you feed these animals. And and my final question was going to be, I sort of dovetails a bit into that, really. But you know, do either of you know is all pet food derived from animals that would be killed for people anyway? And I and I know that's not an argument for it being okay. But does anyone, do either of you know the sort of size of the, you know, uh, 
yes. addition. Yes, good. You know what I'm trying to ask, don't you, Andrew? Thank you. I, I do. Look, <laughs> I've spent the last two years um, doing a huge study about the environmental sustainability of pet food, and it's ramped up uh, to about seven days a week for the last three months, and I just completed it last night. Um, so in a nutshell, the number of kept dogs and cats on the planet is around about 10% of the number of human beings on the planet. There are massive environmental savings that would accrue if the world's cats and dogs went on to nutritionally sound vegan diets. No one's calculated what those savings would be and until until this study, and I've, I've just calculated them all. And you just um, finished it last night, Andrew. Uh, just last night. You literally, oh, my hot wow. off the press. Wow. So the results are unbelievably exciting. It'll be published um, in a scientific journal uh, later this year, but for example, um, with respect to the food energy savings, um, if all uh, dogs and cats went on to nutritionally sound vegan diets, in fact, just dogs, it would free up enough food energy to feed um, the number of additional people that would exceed the entire populations of Latin America and the Caribbean combined. All of those <laughs> people uh, could be fed uh, if, if dogs simply went on to nutritionally sound vegan diets with the food energy savings. And that's not counting stray dogs and community-owned dogs. It's just, it's just looking at this... 300 plus million that are kept dogs. There's enormous savings of greenhouse gases. There's savings of land use, water use, and literally billions of uh, animals that are being killed each year for the food system. We're talking about land animals, uh, probably close to 10 billion, uh, and billions more uh, marine animals as well globally. Now, you've asked an important question about uh, the proportion of animal produce within uh, pet food, and in particular, the use of animal byproducts. Um, meat-based pet foods uh, globally um, have just under 50% is actually animal produce. Most of it's actually plant materials in the meat-based pet foods. With respect to byproducts, um, the really interesting thing that uh, I found from looking at all the species that are used, the quantities are used, and the percentages of the carcasses that produce those byproducts is that byproducts are actually less efficient. Uh, than normal meat you need more livestock animals you need to kill more livestock animals to produce byproducts than simply to produce meat and if wow. byproducts don't go into pet food they're not uh, recycled sorry they're not going to landfill they're not wasted um, they go into a huge number of other social sectors and in fact the pet food industry is, is a small minority user of byproducts uh, because it does use some byproducts, more animals are being killed uh, to supply those byproducts. Byproducts is just a term that uh, we assign as human beings. It doesn't mean that the um, materials are being positively recycled and would otherwise go to landfill at all. It's just another category of, of um, livestock uh, products that are very cheap and are used a lot in the pet food industry, but they have a bigger environmental footprint than standard meat products. So their use in pet food increases not decreases environmental impacts. And I've quantified what all those environmental benefits are going to be, and they're massive. This is incredibly exciting. It should be of concern to everybody globally who is concerned about climate change or environmental sustainability, regardless of whether or not they're interested in veganism. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, I that can't is... wait to see it. Yeah, me too. That is just stunning. Amazing. Thank you. Um, well, what a great note to end on. Um, I've been hot off the presses, new research. Really, really looking forward to that coming out. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation. As a, as a non-companion animal owner, I am um, <laughs> still fascinated. You know, it's just really, uh, my mind is blown about that. And um, I feel I have to, when I listen back to this, I'll have to be taking some notes because <laughs> there's so much information in there. So thank you so much. We've really um, only just scratched the surface. It's one of uh, these yeah. subjects that... 
uh, often in the first conversation, I try and keep it at one level and then it, it will branch off into environmental issues, uh, animal rights discussions, nutritional discussions, and they're all endlessly mineable if you want to have a conversation. So well, this is something we could come back to one day. I was on going to say, theme. let's come back to when, when Andrew, when your wonderful research is published, let's get back together and talk a bit more in detail about that and, and yeah. uh, you know, move on to some other topics. That would be fantastic. Thank you so much to our guests for joining us in this discussion around such an important topic. I'm sure it's given uh, you, uh, whether you already have a companion animal or not, or considering welcoming one into your home, some excellent information and a lot of food for thought. Um, <laughs> Andrew, where is the best place for listeners to find out more information about your work? Uh, I've got a website, sustainablepetfood.info. If people click on articles, they'll have access to all of these studies that I've described. Amazing. And Damien, where can listeners go to find out more about Benevo and um, VDOG? Where can they uh, purchase these? You can uh, go to the Benevo website, which is benevo.com. And also the VDOG website here in the UK is uh, v-dog.co.uk. Thank you so much. Huge thank you to you for listening as well. You can find previous episodes of The Vegan Pod on Podbean and we'll be back with another episode next month. And to join in the conversation or share your thoughts and feelings about what we've discussed today, make sure you follow us on Twitter at The Vegan Society, Instagram at The Original Vegan Society and on Facebook. And you can also email us podcast at vegansociety.com. And if you've liked what you've heard, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you. you.